This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to Brand and New. I am Audrey Dove. Taxes are most likely not the considerations that first come to mind when discussing intellectual property management and intellectual property law practice generally. Yet, as I said to every organization, IP rights, such as technology or trademarks, to name a few, have financial and tax implications that are critical from a financial and business perspective, and they cannot be dismissed or overridden by IP professionals. To address this topic, the International Trademark Association, INTA, released in May of this year a new report dedicated to tax implications across the trademark life cycle in the European Union, the United Kingdom and Switzerland, authored by PwC. A couple of months after the release of the OECD report on global anti-base erosion model rules covering the tax challenges arising from the digitalization of the economy, the INTA report is particularly timely and provides critical insights for IP owners and IP law practitioners alike. And to discuss the report, we'll welcome today Jeff Marovitz and Scott Phillips. Jeff is the president of Client Services at Keystone Strategy, where his practice focuses on IP, including patent, trademark, and copyright issues, transfer pricing, contractual disputes, business strategy, and public advocacy. Jeff enjoys over 20 years of experience guiding top technology firms on crucial strategic, legal, and regulatory challenges. His work also includes partnering with global law firms representing clients in the technology and social media industries. Jeff started his career as an IP attorney in top law firms, and in 2002, he founded and served as general counsel for Airwave Wireless prior to joining Keystone in 2007. My second guest, Scott, is a certified public accountant and managing director at Epsilon Economics. His expertise focuses on the economic aspects of trademarks, advertising, reputation, and related areas. With that, he assists companies in valuation and strategy projects and has provided expert testimony in federal districts, state, bankruptcy, and tax courts in commercial disputes involving trademark infringement, false advertising, unfair competition, brand valuation, and related matters. Prior to joining Epsilon Economics in 2017, Scott served as vice president at Charles River Associates as a leader of its trademark practice. He also served as an economist at the Michigan Department of Commerce and as an economist and executive director at Data Research Center and finally as a founding member of the IPC Group Consulting Practice. So Jeff and Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So taxes is not an usual topic on brand new, but IP assets require development budget and maintenance costs, have financial value on the market and may generate revenues over time. So it is only natural that they have tax implications that businesses must be aware of. Jeff, why are the interests and priorities of IP professionals on the one hand, and tax professionals, on the other hand, often not fully aligned in an organization? Well, that's a great question. 
what we find and you know especially talking to INTA members um, about this issue is there are a variety of reasons for um, the need for greater communication between tax professionals and IP and trademark professionals. Fundamentally, trademarks are treated differently and IP is treated differently, um, although it is an asset in a tax regime from the way it is treated in a legal regime. And even again, the way it's thought of from a business perspective um, around brand value. So those are three different treatments that have to exist or coexist in a company at the same time that really come out of three different disciplines, you know, the legal discipline, financial accounting and tax, and, and even marketing and communication. So you have three disciplines, folks growing up with those skills and then applying to the same asset, really. And INTA tries to open up that dialogue through education, through a really nuanced understanding of the basic nomenclature of each of those issues. And, and it really is that, that triumvirate because we go all the way from tax treatment and accounting treatment through trademark legal treatment and all the way to brand value and brand evaluation treatment and including even the ESG focus that, that Scott rightfully pointed out earlier. So it begins with that. The, they are treated differently under the different regimes. The other piece of it is they may have different outcomes or different objectives, I should say. So the, the trademark practitioner is trying to maximize brand value, but they're also trying to, to make sure that they protect their brand at all costs, that, that they are able to enforce their trademark against other marks that might infringe. The tax professional doesn't seek to undermine that, but certainly may have other objectives in reducing the impact on the bottom line. So in reducing the, the amount of taxes paid. So that could start to enter a conversation of where should the asset be located? In what jurisdiction? Jurisdictions, and by that I mean countries, have different tax rates and they have different tax rates for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons is to attract assets the, the attractiveness of a, of a given country based on their tax rate might be different from the attractiveness based on their legal structures and legal protections for trademarks. So those can be intention. And finally, there could be elements of control, simple control of not being in the same location as your, as your IP assets and, and, and introducing complexity there. And this will be a theme, I think, throughout our discussion. Those are differences. They can be known differences and they can be differences that, that can be embraced and that can actually serve to maximize the impact of a tax professional and an IP professional working in collaboration. And that really is kind of the theme of all of our work, which is to expose um, where there are differences, to expose where collaboration ought to occur, and then to encourage that collaboration throughout the life cycle of a trademark such that um, trademark professionals can really engage with their tax colleagues and bring great value to their companies. Let's talk a little bit further on the INTA report. Could you please walk us through the main insights of this report? And maybe first, what was the starting point or rationally for it at this point in time? Absolutely. I'm happy to, to walk us through the rationale for the report and also some of the highlights. So first of all, it was important for INTA to go out and find really advanced, skilled knowledge in this field. So we spoke to a number of providers of tax consulting services and landed on a report that would be authored by PwC. And so INTA sponsored the report 
it, it is actually a PwC publication, and that was on purpose. We wanted to make sure that we were getting the viewpoints of tax professionals that are working in this space day in, day out. We had done some exposure earlier, you know, in previous years of trademark professionals to kind of tax consequences. And so this was building on earlier work, including the trademark practitioner's tax checklist, which was quite well received. We had to decide what geographies to focus on. We began this series of educational events, if you will, with a focus on Europe. And in future years, we look to focus in Asia and even in North America. Um, but the number of tax regimes in Europe and the importance to global firms everywhere to understand the tax regimes in Europe made that geography an important one to start at. And then finally, it also allowed us to talk about common themes that will be in play regardless of what geography we go into. So the first major highlight, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is that although trademark and tax professionals both consider trademarks assets, they think of them a little bit differently. There's legal ownership, which is uh, primarily how a trademark professional thinks of the holding of a trademark. And then there's beneficial ownership, which means that the, the mark may sit in one part of your company, but it might be beneficially owned in other parts of the companies. And it also means that the benefits and the costs do not have to reside in the same place. And that really is like the heart of how you can optimize the tax efficiency of your ownership of IP assets. Another major topic in the report is the treatment of goodwill or what is the value of a mark above and beyond the actual literal cost of a trademark. This is a large topic. It's one that Inta continues to tackle and actually has a, some new guidance on. But I think it's important to first know that, and Scott may want to comment on this, that balance sheets don't necessarily and almost never record marks, trademarks that is, in their full value. They might after a merger or acquisition where um, a premium is paid and that is considered goodwill on a mark. And that premium may reflect the actual brand value, but those events are idiosyncratic. They don't happen consistently and they will get stale quickly, even after that merger and acquisition. So you see a real difference, and this is addressed in the report between the actual brand value and the accounting value. One more topic um, addressed in the report is just a review of the different geographies in Europe, especially those that are commonly used for uh, trademark holding, like Luxembourg and Switzerland and Ireland. And what are the differences in taxation schemes in those countries? How does that affect tax planning? And why are people locating trademarks and IP assets in those geographies? Scott, why are tax considerations essential to, to good IP management in your view? And do IP rights enjoy any special treatment from a tax perspective due to their intangible nature, which would set them apart from their tangible peers? The INTA report, as uh, Jeff uh, lays out uh, in good detail, describes the uh, impacts of decisions that are made by in-house counsel regarding the development, the uh, exploitation, and the disposal of IP, um, including trademarks. So uh, one example um, that Jeff alluded to is a decision to either internally develop um, a trademark or other IP, or to acquire IP from an external source or to license the IP. So each of these alternatives have 
widely differing impacts on current and future tax expenses. And there's tension there, as uh, uh, Jeff also alluded to, the fact of legal ownership versus um, beneficial ownership. There are locational sort of aspects here that expand the range of issues that Trademark Council um, needs to consider beyond just uh, where trademarks are, are registered. So like um, a CEO that tries to maximize shareholder value, in-house counsel's actions have tax consequences that may or may not maximize um, the value of IP. One of the ways in which uh, companies have impacted their tax rates is to the placement of IP asset ownership in countries with relatively low or lower tax rates than perhaps their legal domicile. If you are a, an IP-centric company, there may be tax savings afforded by locating these assets in those jurisdictions with lower tax rates. But this is not so much a special incentive afforded to IP over tangible assets in particular. It simply reflects that companies that are IP-centric have more locational options than their counterparts that require tangible property on the ground. Jeff, a person who sells or signs all or, let's say, substantially all of their rights to an IP asset is generally treated as having sold their interest in the IP asset for income tax purposes. But things can get more complicated when it comes to licensing or even technology made available on a SaaS basis. What are the tax considerations when deciding on the structure of an IP deal, such as a transfer versus a licensing? And I have a second question. Any major differences in the tax treatment of these events in the IP life cycle across the European Union? That's a great question. Thinking about, you know, kind of differences between transferring assets fully and licensing assets, you know, it brings up a number of points that I'll try to touch on. First and foremost, I think it comes back, and I, I'll be a bit of a broken record on this point, it comes back to the importance of bringing together the legal professionals and the tax professionals at each stage of life cycle planning. This is something addressed in the report um, and in kind of all of the work that we do at INTA around this subject. But it is essential that each decision get reviewed by those stakeholders because there are trade-offs being made at each stage. Um, and including in different jurisdictions, as you alluded to, that's covered a bit in the report. We don't go into tremendous detail on that discrete question, but it is one that the report looks at a bit and it's one certainly that that could be addressed through collaboration of uh, trademark and tax professionals let me jump up a step though to to the heart of your question which is transfer versus license so one consideration amongst many when it comes to tax implications oftentimes a trademark has to be licensed across geographies regardless of choice because there those intercompany licenses have to happen and tax regimes engage at that moment to value the asset that is being transferred. That's called transfer pricing. And it refers to the payments that are made within a company for the use of assets across that company. So that is perhaps, and I don't want to overstep, but perhaps the most fundamental place where we see licensing and, and tax treatment overlap significantly. The other, of course, is what we talked about earlier, which is the placement of IP assets in geographies with favorable tax treatment. And then the need to 
license back the rights to use those trademarks to other geographies and what happens in that license back and what are the tax consequences? These are the precise questions that have to get answered in, in tax planning around trademark lifecycle. When it comes to the full sale transfer of IP assets versus the licensing of that, if we were thinking of this as a sliding scale, we're, we're now at that point in the land of legal over tax consequences in many cases, because there are legal implications to the full transfer outside of a wholly owned entity. And this is the place where I think into members could really engage because the decisions on how to exploit your IP and whether to exploit it through either exclusive licensing or transfer versus a more non-exclusive licensing regime. That's the kind of thing that our members are quite adept at um, navigating. And I think that it's also a place where the tax professionals will have to um, show due deference to the IP professionals in order to make sure that we're not compromising any rights in the process of trying to maximize tax value. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Let's turn up to the way our tax systems actually support the development of IP rights and IP-based industries, if at all, and how best uh, to leverage those tax incentive mechanisms through sound IP management. Scott, can IP assets make their owners or licensees eligible to certain tax incentives on policy grounds, such as fostering R&D, or the development of the knowledge economy? One of the, the biggest incentives for fostering research and development in the knowledge economy happens uh, even before an IP asset even exists. Mm -hmm. um, under most circumstances, uh, the expenses companies incur in their R&D efforts are deductible immediately when they are incurred. This, of course, uh, reduces taxable profits and therefore tax expenses. So in that way, just the whole idea of being able to uh, deduct research and development expenses immediately is in, in a sense, a tax incentive. It's not until those efforts of research and development produce a viable and visible output in whatever form that might be, perhaps a new technology, that those expenses um, can be and are required to be capitalized or carried on the balance sheet instead of expensed in the current period. So in, in that sense, there's actually a little bit of a, a disincentive. I mean, once you have a, a viable product, um, you have to start capitalizing expenses that are required uh, to further develop and commercialize that product. There are tax incentives for undertaking R&D generally, whether or not they produce a form of, of uh, intellectual property. Another example of that, uh, more germane to the trademark world, is the deduction of advertising and promotional um, expenses that companies incur to create brand awareness and brand value and also to promote sales. So when, when companies undertake advertising campaigns, they really have two effects. One is to promote sales. That's what you the companies want to do is to say, they say, I want to see sales increase. But a lot of the value of that advertising 
continues beyond just increasing current sales. It's meant to increase overall awareness so that in future years, those sales are also increased. So companies now can deduct all their expenses immediately for advertising and promotion, regardless of the fact that the benefits of those advertising and promotion expenses benefit some future sales period. So generally companies are allowed to deduct all of those advertising and promotional expenses. So in that sense, there is a bit of a, an incentive um, in the development of um, trademark rights. In this case, it's not so much an incentive to develop IP. Instead of it, it reflects the impracticality of requiring companies to match those expenses to sales in, in some future period. Uh, just as a last point, the the tax incentives you may be thinking of are ones that we've uh, kind of referred to before, the locational incentives, that is, those um, countries that um, have a lower tax rate and pit mm -hmm. one country against the other uh, for low corporate uh, tax rates. So trademarks, um, as an intangible, owners have uh, more flexibility to locate their assets in low tax jurisdictions than do owners um, in less um, IP-centric companies. Based on your respective experience advising businesses on these different issues, can you share practical steps IP Council can take right away to factor in taxes into their practice and open their role to taxes considerations generally? IMTA report does a good job of laying out the many ways in which um, decisions by in-house counsel and tax professionals impact one another. Perhaps the most practical step, in my view, uh, that we can take is to initiate dialogue uh, between in-house counsel and tax professionals. That's one of the, the primary purposes that Jeff alluded to in INTA developing the report is to help trademark in-house uh, and outside counsel establish some level of knowledge and vocabulary to interact with tax professionals. So I would say, you know, don't wait for an actual transactional need to collaborate with a tax professional. I would say getting to know one another beforehand, uh, both professionally and personally makes a world of difference when the time comes to engage one another in a transactional setting. And just uh, just one plug before I turn it over to Jeff, um, I would recommend to listeners that uh, reading the report is a substantial <laughs> undertaking. There's a lot of detail in it. And so I would recommend don't, don't feel obligated or feel like you need to digest the entirety of the report all at once. There may be some sections of the report that uh, are more important or relevant to, to you, and you might want to tackle those um, on a case-by-case -case basis. So there's a lot of information in the report. And... Uh, suggestions got in, in agreement with all of them. So just trying to, to build on what Scott was sharing, and this really comes down to that collaboration point, which is there is an opportunity, and we haven't talked as much about this, but so much of the value of firms is related to IP and particularly trademarks and brands, though all IP, of course. And that has gained the attention of tax professionals everywhere and tax regimes. And so how do trademark professionals make sure that they are maximizing brand value and at the same time being sensitive to tax issues? 
It's by staying involved. It's by helping educate um, tax authorities and tax counsel about how trademarks work. Where are the risks? Where are the benefits? How does brand work at my company? How do different brands at my company work? What are the relative values of those different brands? There's just a whole suite of opportunity for the trademark or IP departments of firms and certainly for outside counsel to really flip the script, if you will, and like, and unlock real. My final point would be that tax really does that. The numbers, they are incredibly meaningful for firms. And so if we can have impact, positive impact on those large numbers, we can continue to provide a great deal of value. I had actually a few rapid fire questions. And the first one is your key takeaways from the INTA report in your own professional practice. In our work, we deal with valuation of brands quite frequently. And what role does do brands play in the value of a business and in the profits of a business? This report's discussion of the tax regimes in Europe is quite helpful for me in thinking through how to organize uh, those values and where where priority is going to be placed on brand valuation. So I've been using it uh, just in my own practice for that reason. Another kind of practical aspect um, of the report, <clears throat> from my perspective, is the addition of, I think, a fairly comprehensive glossary uh, of terms that are used both in the trademark and the tax worlds. So, you know, to collaborate between trademark counsel and tax professionals involves obviously a vocabulary. And so I think that the, one of the most practical aspects of the report um, is the addition of the glossary that gives us uh, some, some sense of, of the terms that they're going to hear and use throughout this process of collaborating with uh, tax counsel. The last book you read and which you would recommend? I mean, I, I'll do one that is completely, it just happens to be the, the one I've been enjoying lately and has nothing to do with, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I'm going to try to make a connection. It's called The Culture Code and it's by Daniel Coyle and it's about the habits of successful teams and how teaming works and collaboration and a variety of organizations. It's something I think about in my own leadership a lot, but it's also You'll hear that theme throughout lots in my discussion of the report. So I think we'd be hard pressed to find the, the, the precise tax implications of the culture code. Um, they are there in um, its theme of collabor collaboration and um, psychological safety. Well, the most recent book I finished is uh, called All the Light We Cannot See um, by Anthony Doerr. I like the book for a lot of reasons. The writing style is interesting and the structure of the story is interesting. It's it's set in World War II, and it centers on two characters, uh, a young uh, French girl and a uh, young German boy. And it follows them um, as their lives are lived separately and then um, as they uh, become uh, more related to one another. So I, I just thought that the setting was very, very interesting. So All the Light We Cannot See uh, by Anthony Doerr. And I, I also want to just mention my all-time favorite book. Um, it's called Undaunted Courage uh, by Stephen Ambrose. It's mm -hmm. about the, the Lewis and Clark expedition and uh, just all the, the bravery and adventure involved in that. It was, it's a very exciting uh, book to read for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. Thank you.
My guest today were Jeff Marovitz, President of Client Services at Keystone Strategy, and Scott Phillips, Certified Public Accountant and Managing Director at Epsilon Economics. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.